0: Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Robert. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Today on the show, we don't have any guests, but we have lots of topics to talk about I am going to talk about a new entrant in the Louisville mayor race and some information about uh, endorsements and other things that are going on in that race, which is getting a very early start. So we're going to be talking about that. Jasmine has some updates about Louisville police and protesting, mostly police. Uh, Good stuff to be talking about there. And I am going to be doing a little bit larger uh, segment about COVID because it has become a bigger issue in the past couple of weeks. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that we recorded this episode with a little bit of technical difficulties at the beginning, so the Louisville Mayor discussion is going to have some, you know, medium-quality audio, uh, but that will resolve itself, hopefully, by the time we get to the middle of the show. So, thank you for bearing with us, and here is the show. Jasmine, did you feel like the Louisville Mayor's race was going to have such a busy 2021?
1: Not really. I guess. I knew that it would be busy, but I didn't know it would be busy this early.
0: Yeah, I think that that's about right. I I, I didn't think that we would be talking about it at all in 2021. Maybe just a little bit about some potential candidate announcements and maybe towards the fall and winter hearing some more people uh, doing some more stuff. But we have lots of stuff about announcements, about endorsements, about all kinds of stuff. So we're going to jump right into it on Friday. David James, who's the Metro Council president here in Louisville and up until recently a, a competitor for the mayor's office, he endorsed Craig Greenberg to be the mayor, which is a pretty shocking development, I think. So Greenberg and James recording very different constituencies in their campaigns to be the mayor. And James's announcement was, you know, really heavily tilted towards showcasing his labor credentials when he announced that he was running for mayor. Well, Greenberg's major push at the beginning was about his ability to, like, fundraise, and he really kind of courted Louisville's business elite and just, like, the generally elite, (laughs) like, the elite folks uh, across the city. I mean, is that kind of how you felt, like, this has gone so far about who, who those people were going after?
1: Yeah, I definitely feel like their campaigns were different, but to me, I wasn't shocked at all about the endorsement. Really? The time that he dropped out in the time that Barbara Sexton Smith announced that she was not running and she was going to work for Greenberg. It just seemed like everything lined up for James to endorse Greenberg.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was kind of surprising just because the the constituencies that these two people represent are very different. I kind of felt like somebody would be slotting into the David James spot even if it wasn't David James, like some Mm -hmm. kind of more pro-labor guy, uh, somebody who is kind of more of that style of, of politician would be slotting in where James kind of stepped out because of his health reasons and that James would eventually endorse that person. And James endorsing Greenberg kind of means I kind of feel like that their constituencies are kind of merging. It's a big showcase to the labor folks here in Louisville that, that Greenberg, you know, once their votes and and once their, once their factions, you know, capabilities and that's that's kind of the reason I, I think it's kinda of interesting. But right now the the Democratic Party is kind of this like pan urban party with basically everybody who lives in a city, <laughs> regardless of their income, education, race or class, kind of Democrats. And the Democratic primary is where all these different kind of factions kind of fight it out. And that's kind of why I was kind of surprised to see those two factions which seem very opposed to each other kind of coming together as one.
1: Yeah, well I guess We feel differently about this because we felt differently about the race in general. Like, I thought that the week that James dropped out and Barbara Sexton Smith said she wasn't running, I thought that meant that doors were going to be closed for a lot of people. And you felt like it opened it up. Yeah. So I feel like how I feel about this endorsement is in line with what I said before.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, we'll get into that in just a second. But one last point about this is I do think the consolidation of James's wing and Greenberg's wing is a big benefit to Greenberg. But I think the big question I have is like, what did he have to give up to get James's endorsement? I do kind of mm-hmm. feel like since. James is kind of a natural rival or James's faction is a natural rival to to Greenberg. He wasn't just doing it out of the goodness of his heart. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, there's probably some sort of promise that was made, and I don't know what that is right now. Um, But I wonder from Craig Greenberg's perspective, if it was worth it to him to kind of court that endorsement in the first place. Um, You know, what is he going to have to give up to get that? Uh, That's that's to me a big question. But, but Jasmine, to your point about the race in general and whether or not it's opening up, um, the extent to which it's opening up, I do think is out there to be debated. But it is opening up at least a little bit because we have a new. Yeah, we do
1: have a new candidate. We have
0: a new candidate on the Democratic side, and that's David Nicholson, the Jefferson County Circuit Court clerk. And that's a name that has been rumored consistently throughout this entire process. There have been signals that he wasn't interested. A lot of people who would know things were like, I don't think he's going to run. That's what they would tell me. Uh, And then all of a sudden, about a week ago, I started hearing that he was likely going to announce. And sure enough, he did. Uh, Nicholson announced his candidacy in a press release on Monday, on Tuesday. It was on Tuesday. No, it was today. Today is the day he announced. It was today is Wednesday. He announced in a press release today on Wednesday. uh, And in his press release, he mentioned gun violence and public safety as his top issues, and as we're kind of talking about factions inside the Democratic Party um, that are kind of duking it out in the primary to kind of get the to get the Democratic nomination for the mayorship of Louisville, this is I think kind of a different faction than the labor faction that that David James was representing, and kind of the moneyed faction that Greenberg was representing. You know, while David James did have the FOP as part of his constituency, I think this is kind of making more of a play directly towards public safety, which I think is has a pretty significant constituency here in Mobile. Do you think that that's right?
1: Yeah, I think that that's right. Um, I think what I'm wanting to know, because I read the release also, and and it was very clear that gun violence in Mobile is going to be his major issue. And I'm just wondering what is his, what's his ideology on that? Like, yeah. What is his solution to addressing it? Because I think it could go a lot of different ways.
0: It, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. There's no doubt to me that that is kind of, it can go lots of different ways. I don't know.
1: Like, to me, my guess would be that he maybe has a more conservative approach to it. So maybe he's running as more of a conservative... Democrat, yeah. But, but I don't know that at all. Like, no. He isn't really in, like, a, su- a super partisan position right now. Yeah. So I don't really know anything about his ideology.
0: Yeah, exactly. I do think you're exactly right, uh, first of all, that we we do need more information about what his potential solution to the gun violence issue would be. And that could go lots of different directions. That was very astute of you to stay. But just to the person that he is, Nicholson has been the Jefferson County Circuit Court clerk, And he's been doing that job for three terms. He comes from one of Louisville's kind of judicial families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he has his father, his brother, and his daughter all serve as judges here in Louisville, or have it, at different times. Uh, And he's long been rumored as a potential candidate once Craig Fisher left office. So it's not too surprising to see that he is doing this job.
1: Yeah, and I think he also um, has the ability to have a lot of money in his
0: campaign. Yeah, I mean he has an exi- existing base of fundraising support uh, as a, a current politician and he also has uh, yeah I think that there I think that there's money out there to be had. I don't think that Greg Craig Greenberg has all of it. that's for sure. So before we leave this topic, I do think that there's continuing rumors that we should probably address like uh, and, and I think like one candidate who a lot of people have mentioned to me is Mary Ellen Wiederwall. And I don't know if we've talked about her uh, in this sh- in this on the show yet at all. So she's a long term, a longtime Greg Fisher aide who left his administration in 2020. And during the time that she worked as one of Greg Fisher's aides, she was in economic development. Uh, a lot of people thought for a very long time that she was going to be the person that took up Mayor Fisher's mayoral agenda. But he had a really tough 2020. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I think a lot of things kind of fell apart for him that year. And the calculus for her obviously changed. I think one of the major reasons we haven't seen either Ms. Wiederwall or other potential candidates, a lot of them out there, a lot of them haven't said clearly that they're not running, is because Craig Greenberg has made it pretty clear that he's seeking endorsements from potential challengers, and they may find it in their best interest to kind of like secure some sort of concession from Greenberg in exchange for staying out of the race. So I think that's why this race seems very dynamic. And uh, why you aren't seeing a lot of people ruling out entirely unless <laughs> they're endorsing Craig Greenberg with could potentially be some sort of deal that they made with him. So that's kind of how I see this race shaping up. There's still a really long way to go in this race. I expect Lexington to also have a pretty hotly contested mayoral election. You know, Linda Gordon is up for reelection next year as well. Um, and uh, I, that race is always contested. So that's one of the reasons I think it will be again um but they haven't even started in the slightest and i think that that's probably because we still have half a year uh, until the filing deadline so so that's that's that yeah anything else to add about the louisville mayor race
1: no i think you covered it
0: all all right that's enough about the louisville mayor's race uh jasmine tell us what we need to know about police and protesting
1: okay uh, i have a Few different updates here, really three different stories. The first one is a new lawsuit against LMPD that claims that the department is withholding body cam footage from the night that Brianna Taylor was killed. This suit was filed by Brianna's family's attorney, Sam Aguiar. And we already know that one lawsuit has been settled and that her family got a large settlement. That was the wrongful death lawsuit. Right. All this is is an open records lawsuit, basically. So Kentucky's open records law gives circuit courts jurisdiction to enforce open records law. And in this case, Aguiar is specifically alleging that an audit trail of body cam footage is being withheld. So an audit trail would provide all kinds of information like time of the footage, times of like activation of body cam, who activated their body cam, who's accessed the body cam, since right. it was recorded. Yeah. And so that is what he's seeking and so you know he's seeking injunctive relief trying to get that footage because it, he's saying that there isn't any exception to open records law and that they're entitled to it and so we'll see if the circuit court makes LMPD turn anything over. LMPD hasn't filed a response yet, so we don't know you know, what they're saying their exception is or anything like that.
0: So they, they do admit that this exists? They just say that there is an exception? Is that where we're at with this?
1: No, just the complaint has been filed, and that's what's in the plaintiff's complaint. Got it. LMPD has not filed their answer yet, so okay. I don't know what they're saying. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. That's There's a lot of ways that this could go for yeah. sure.
1: Uh, the second story is about LMPD officer Aubrey Gregory. So last September, after the grand jury announcement, two officers were shot during a protest with, um, you know, non-fatal injuries, of course. One of them, Aubrey Gregory, was just demoted for using offensive language in a training for new recruits. And this came up at a Metro Council government oversight committee meeting. And the police chief told... The Metro Council Committee that Gregory used the N-word during a training in an effort to explain to recruits how the word may be okay for black people to say to each other but not a white person. Yikes. But he said it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Metro Council members were asking questions about the demotion because there was no documentation or paper trail of it. Mm -hmm. The Courier-Journal was also denied any records, and they're appealing that decision to the AG's office. So you know this is like the other lawsuit this is a question of you know i don't know if this exists at all is it just being withheld from the public and i think that's what the courier journal is trying to find out as well in a quote from chief erica shields talking about commanders which gregory was in charge of their training program um she said I have an expectation on how they conduct themselves. I'm trying to drive this department forward. And there are certain things I cannot have commanders doing. And this is one of them. So she was telling Metro Council, I had to take swift action. And not everything may be documented because this was someone in charge. He knew the expectations. And so I had to make a decision quickly because I can't. Let this stuff happen.
0: How does that sit with you as an explanation, Jasmine?
1: I guess I I agree that you can't have commanders doing that, obviously. But a big issue, you know, over the years has been like transparency with um, law enforcement and police departments. And especially in the last year, that's something that we've been talking about like nearly weekly on our show and i think you still need to if there's a process you need to go through the process yeah i mean probably right to
0: me lmpd has a lot of issues that they're trying to face right now and one of them is this like bad behavior by officers i mean and up to and including like killing people Mm -hmm. uh but you know also including using really horribly offensive language in trainings those are the bad behavior by officers. That's one thing. And then the second thing is like this transparency issue. And it does seem that Erica Shields, like, if this all is true, is trying to do something about the first thing. But you also have to address the second thing at the same time. Because, you know, well, one of the things that we've said is like, you know, you're going to lose all these court cases. Uh, you, they should be losing all these court cases because they're not transparent enough. They aren't providing enough information. And, like, that's true of this as well. If there's no documentation that this person did this and that's why they're being demoted, like, they should lose a court case around this. Uh, that, that that person should, has a case to make that, like, this wasn't documented, there is no evidence of me actually doing this, uh, and because you didn't do the job the right way, you shouldn't have terminated me. And that would be bad. Like, if this person mm-hmm. really did this and is allowed to stay on the force because of bad documentation practices, that would be a real shame. So uh, they they should be doing better transparency work Uh, And also dealing with the fact that they have some poorly behaved officers.
1: Yeah. After he was told he was being demoted, he told Chief Shields of his intention to retire in August. So I don't know if maybe that has to do with not having documentation, but it shouldn't for the reasons you just said. Right. You know, because you can't have a situation where officers are appealing terminations and demotions because of, of things like this. Yeah. A quote from Paula McCraney in the WHAS article about this story was really interesting to me. She said, we can't go around demoting good cops. We are trying so hard to get the good ones to stay on the force and get rid of the bad ones. This seems like a really strange thing to say. Yeah. And so I don't know if she was talking about Gregory specifically or maybe this was taken out of context. I found that quote really bizarre and I have to assume that there's more context.
0: One of the reasons, <laughs> I, one of the context that we should probably provide here is that Paul McCraney is a Democrat and also one of the four or five black people right. on the Metro Correct. Council. Uh, which is to say, uh, I could definitely see this coming from one of the Republican members of the Metro Council, but it is a little surprising to come from Paul McCraney.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, I don't have a, a transcript of the meeting or, or anything like that. This was just like, one individual quote that was pulled from it. Yeah, um, but right. definitely interesting and, and maybe it needs more context though. The last thing I want to say about this story is, you know, I think that people are definitely starting to like look into officer trainings more than ever. You know, um, your alma mater's student newspaper uncovered yeah. the story about like the Nazi training materials within KSP. And, and so I do think that, it's good that the new LMPD regime maybe wants to send a message that things like this won't be tolerated. But you know, I always think it's interesting that so many stories about discipline have to do with things like cursing and offensive language and administrative procedure violations uh, rather than like the use of force and like treatment of the public in general. And, and it seems so hard to for action to be taken in some of those situations. Yeah. But a lot of these officers have issues. So it, it looks like Aubrey Gregory is going to be retiring at the end of this month. I definitely understand the transparency concerns around this story. Last story, we have some new information about the night that law enforcement killed David McAtee. Um, and this comes from officer interviews and so in katie cruz's interview she was one of the officers on scene who fired pepper balls and also posted some pretty bad things on social media like the nights that she was holding the line or whatever during the protest Um, but in, in her interview she shared that Mcatee's niece was simply standing outside Um, but said that she continued to shoot because she wouldn't go inside the building. So the standard for using pepper balls, um, you know, in department policies is that a degree of force is necessary to overcome actual or anticipated resistance by the suspect. And it sounds like David McAtee's niece was standing in the doorway of a building She's not on the street. She's not on the sidewalk or anything like that. She's just standing in the doorway, which seems like it doesn't meet that level.
0: Right. I mean, it it definitely doesn't seem like it meets that level. But these are interviews regarding, I mean, when you say we have an interview, who is the interview with?
1: Nothing I could find says who it's with. I'm guessing this is for like the public integrity unit.
0: Okay. But like the KSP version of whatever that would be. Because is isn't she a KSP? Person? No, she's
1: LMPD. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see kind of whether anything comes from this, right? I think that that's the real issue is that, like, to me and you, it very clearly um, doesn't meet the standard that it needs to for her to have taken the actions that she took, but what is going to come from this and who's going to be, you know, because it was, like, multiple police agencies, right? So she's LMPD, mm-hmm. And KSP is technically the people that fire the bullet that, that killed David McAtee. Um, you know, how does that all fit together? Uh, if it was actions that she took that kind of escalated a situation, yeah. and then it ended with KSP firing shots that ended up killing somebody.
1: Yeah. And it, it sounded like this was the, the first action that was taken. Yeah. So another officer that was present was also interviewed and he said that he didn't fire a single pepper ball during the three days that he had them. Right. And also stated that he saw the pepper balls coming from officer Cruz. Yeah. And so from these interviews and like video footage and statements by Michelle McAtee, David McAtee's niece, it sounds like officer Cruz was the first one to fire anything. And, how do people know at the time what's being fired at yeah, them? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if they're like on private property, they're not in the streets or anything like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you watch the video that the New York times had that kind of stitched everything together, mm-hmm. it's very clear that David McAtee got his gun because he thought that people were shooting bullets at him. Right. Uh. Yeah. And, and of course that led directly to his death. So, I mean, a lot to still parse through here and a lot that, Probably needs to be done about this, and only t- you know it's already been all it's been more than a year it's kind of crazy to think about, but it's been like fourteen months uh and that's a lot of time, but you know there's probably still more work that needs to be done uh and and stuff that needs to happen uh in, in response to to this killing by the police
1: yeah, and something that I kind of had a problem with in Katie Cruz's interview. Was she said about Michelle Mcatee? She said she was standing in. I don't want to say an aggressive manner, but as a manner that she was not going to go inside. And (laughs) she (laughs) says, "I don't want to say in an aggressive manner, but so she literally said that." Right. And yeah, that's something that I see so often in citations when talking about black people. Just existing, yeah. So, yeah, they use aggressive manner, fighting stance, bald fists like they use all these things. And the video shows her standing in the doorway at one point, and then it also ha- shows her with her hands behind her back up against the door, yeah. And so
0: it kind of reminds uh. me of the, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but there's like a, a super cut of this one lawyer who's always asking police officers if they can define furtive for like furtive movements, mm-hmm. which is, and none of them of course ever can. I can't either, <laughs> but it's like a, one of those words that people just use. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those systemic racism issues that we uh, talk about a, a lot, so Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the last story we have to talk about, which is COVID. Uh, I wanted to do a little bit longer of a COVID update this week because uh, it's more of a story than it has been lately. It's been a really rough July when it comes to COVID. Our our case numbers have mostly been on the rise and vaccinations have mostly been on the decline. But hopefully I kind of am looking at the numbers and, and it does seem like that might turn around. Both the 7- and the 14-day moving averages have shown a slowing in the growth rate in the number of cases and a slight rise, actually, in the number of daily vaccinations in the past week. Hard to say for sure if we're truly reaching sort of a plateau when when it comes to the Delta variant, but that is something uh, I'm starting to see in the numbers. So Tuesday's report showed nine red counties. There are three which border each other in western Kentucky. That's Webster, Hopkins, and Muhlenberg and three which border each other in eastern Kentucky, Whitley, Laurel, and Clay. And then there's three more, Hart, which is kind of in western Kentucky, Washington, which is in central Kentucky, and Clay County. I already said Clay County. Lewis County is the other one. That's in northeastern Kentucky. Meanwhile, there's 44 orange counties and only nine green counties. So we're definitely in a much worse place than we were when we were coming down in late June. Louisville's case rate almost doubled last week. It's 414, and it was 218 the week prior. That's really bad, but it's also worth mentioning that we were, like, jumping for joy in late May when cases were in the mid-500s. They fell to that number, and we were like, this is a really good number. So uh, in absolute terms, yes, we're much better off than we have been at the worst, but we are trending in the wrong direction here in Louisville. Lexington more than tripled its case rate. It went from 43 a week ago to 155 last week. Uh, Fayette is actually one of the orange counties. It's, it's gone from yellow to orange. Uh, however, and again, this is way fewer cases than we saw in the winter or the spring. So that's just an added piece of context. We're trending the wrong way, but in absolute terms, we are much better than we were uh, at even kind of the medium part of the pandemic. Our vaccination rate is, is uh, kind of, I feel like maybe turning in a hopeful sign. We've been trucking along at about 2,500 daily vaccinations for you know about a month or two. But we've kind of seen that rate remain stable and even start to tick up. So the 7-day moving average is, is showing a pretty good tick in the right direction, but that could just be noise. The 14-day moving average is kind of showing us a little bit more gradual of, of a tick upwards, but, but one that's definitely present. So that's just something to keep in mind uh, as, we, as we move along here. So the major driver of cases, of course, has been the Delta variant. And Governor Bashir and Dr. Stack held a press conference this week to talk about the spread of the Delta variant, which they said accounted for more than half of Kentucky's overall cases. Stack and Bashir reiterated the importance of vaccines, saying that the case growth due to the Delta variant was entirely avoidable and that vaccinations provide good protection against the Delta variant. So, uh, you know... Uh, They also recommended new recommendations for masks. They came out with new recommendations for masks. They said that people who are unvaccinated should wear masks uh, and that people who work in places where they are in constant contact with people should wear masks and that medically vulnerable people should also wear masks. So uh, just in kind of well, let's before we leave there, Jasmine, what do you think about these new recommendations for masking? Uh, Do you think that they're going to be effective and, and what do you think about them in general?
1: I think they're good recommendations, but no, I don't think they're going to be effective. Yeah. The people who are already vaccinated are the ones who might wear masks. And I don't think that we're we're going to get many unvaccinated people choosing y- to wear masks.
0: Y- you have this odd situation yet again, Jasmine, and we've talked about it throughout this entire pandemic where... Where Andy Bashir and Steven Stack are desperately trying to get people vaccinated because they know that that's the most effective way to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And I mean, you have to reward people with something by saying like, "Hey, if you get vaccinated, you're you're safe," and that's mostly true, you know. Uh, we're seeing, you know, 80 to 95 percent protection, um, depending on what county you're in for, for vaccinated people, where uh, a very low proportion of people who get the coronavirus are unvaccinated and a very, very low percentage of them are actually hospitalized, even if they get the, the coronavirus. So uh, you want them to do that. Um, but if you say get vaccinated and you're still going to have to wear a mask, that's going to be a deterrent. So, you, you know, it's kind of tough. Uh, meanwhile, you've got a lot of people who aren't vaccinated, who don't care, obviously that's why they aren't vaccinated, uh, and they're not going to wear a mask. So we are just kind of like, I, I mean, I think you just have to push to see how many vaccinations you can get. You have to do everything you can to try to get more people vaccinated. And, and I think that's what they're doing. It's just a really, really difficult task because, you know, conservatives turned it into a cultural issue and we are seeing People not get vaccinated, mostly just for political reasons. Um, and, and, you know, I did kind of I have seen a little bit of that turn around, too. I, I've seen some of the Fox News personalities come out and say people need to get vaccinated. I, I mean, saw, Mitch McConnell. Yeah.
1: Kind of said it today. Mitch McConnell he, said it. But he acted surprised. He's like, I can't believe that. Yeah. People don't want to get vaccinated. I, uh,
0: Tommy Tupperville, the senator from Alabama in the same kind of boat. So, you know, maybe with this, we're going to see some some turning around. You know, I saw uh, I, I saw Joe Biden it was with Olivia Rodrigo trying to get some some uh, generation uh, I guess whatever the 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 Gen Z folks to get to get vaccinated. Um, you know I don't know if the people who listen to Olivia Rodrigo are the people who are your real issues. You probably should get more like wrestling people in there. Maybe I don't know I don't know what uh, what are the people who are more conservative. What are the cultural things that they they pay attention to? I don't know I don't know.
1: Um, that girl, what's her name? Tommy. Lauren, the t- gun girl.
0: Oh, yeah. Know. No, I don't know. Yeah, get her vaccinated. She's uh, good luck. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Kid uh, Rock. Kid Rock. Vaccinated. Get Kid Rock <laughs> vaccinated. Yeah, let's get him out there. I don't know. I don't know who it is, but that, that's probably a, a piece of advice I would, I would provide. Uh, anyways, um, things are indeed worse now than they've been in a long time with respect to COVID, but nowhere near as bad as they were when COVID was at its worst. So hopefully things look like they might be turning around soon. So that's, that's COVID uh, for this week. Um, Jasmine, we don't have any quick hits that are written down, but do you have any off the top of your head? Because I have one or two that I wanted to mention that I forgot to write down.
1: I don't have any.
0: One quick hit I do have is that Bam Carney passed away this week. Uh, he was an, a member of House Republican leadership. He was very involved in the education issue. He had been a teacher himself. Um, we've talked about him at length on this podcast for quite a long time as uh, somebody who... Um, you know, we didn't agree with on the issue of education and somebody who um, di- supported a lot of things that we didn't on that issue, you know, but uh, definitely was somebody that I think we could perceive as an adversary and not as an enemy. and I think probably was somebody who saw the Democrats in kind of the same way and in an era of really, really intense partisan bickering, and when the parties are really really uh having opposite ideologies, I think that that's something. That's worth uh that's worth, you know, shouting out and saying it was a good thing. So uh it's always sad when somebody dies. Uh and uh that is that is what happened to Bam Carney. So um feel bad for his family, for the people that loved him, uh and, and you know, all the folks that he represented uh, out there in southeastern Kentucky.
1: Yeah, I saw someone from the ACLU say that he was one of the Republicans that would actually meet with them, which is you know more than uh, more than you could say about a lot of lawmakers um but yeah definitely sad to hear of his passing
0: yeah speaking of republicans involved in the education uh committee regina huff who is the chair of the education committee uh had a tweet that she compared uh dr fauci to uh Cult leader, what's that guy's name? Uh, the
1: Jonestown yeah, cult leader. <laughs> That's yeah, all yeah, I know.
0: yeah. Uh, I, you know, and she tried to, tried to say that it wasn't about vaccines; it was about shutdowns. But we we're not dumb. We know what's going on there. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to mention is that um, Johnson and Johnson and several other opioid manufacturers they reached a twenty six billion dollars settlement with states and localities. And it does look like uh, Daniel Cameron announced. Uh, that his well, he announced that he was looking into it, so that is something that uh, we don't know for a fact how many states are going to sign on to it, and Kentucky still has the option to opt out of it and continue their own litigation, uh, but Kentucky could re- receive up to four hundred and sixty million dollars of that money so so that's something um, to keep your eye on. um Kentucky was hit very, very hard by opioids, and uh, yeah, I hope that I hope that there's some resolution to that soon, and if this is the right option for that i hope that um you know it goes to the to the right stuff all right um you said you didn't have any quick hits right
1: no i don't think so but you mentioned daniel cameron reminded me that the search warrant task force is meeting in louisville tomorrow oh man and it will be the only meeting in louisville so if you're in the same city that we're in you can go to the meeting okay <laughs> and raise your concerns about search warrants
0: okay good to know all right, Jasmine. How can people get a hold of us?
1: They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at My Old KY Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of your choice. We also have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at Patreon.com/slash My Old Kentucky Podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the DimCast Network.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.